0: man's got to do what a man's got to do <laughs> all right proverbs chapter 9 proverbs chapter number 9 we're going to look at this chapter in two different sessions one tonight and then uh, another next week you know over the years we all receive a lot of different invitations uh, all kinds of different things, and some are good and some are bad. And uh, we we need to be careful how we respond to invitations. A lot of times we'll get an invitation to some place, you know, that we ought not to be. Regardless of how enticing it looks, we, you know, there are certain places that we as Christians need to stay away from. And uh, here in chapter number 9, we're going to see... Uh, we're going to see an example of that, but actually uh, you could say there are two invitations here, one good and one bad. One comes from wisdom and one comes from, uh, from folly, and uh, the outcome of our life depends upon which one we accept. So tonight we're going to, we're going to consider Wisdom's Banquet, down through verse number 12, Wisdom's Banquet. Uh, before we begin reading, and since we're talking about wisdom, you know, a lot of times we just throw that word out there, and uh, we either simply define it or we we don't define it at all. And as I said at the very beginning, you know, uh, wisdom and knowledge are not necessarily the same thing. Knowledge is, you know, knowing the facts. Wisdom's knowing how to put them to the best use. You know, that's a real simplified version. But whenever we go through the Old Testament especially and the particular Hebrew word that's translated wisdom, we need to understand that it was used in several different ways. I sat down this afternoon and went to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, a big sounding name there, and just doing some research on the Old Testament Hebrew word for wisdom. And uh, here's what it said. It said on one level it described skilled arts and artisans, weavers, architects, goldsmiths, people like that. Uh, and, And by the way, whenever you go back and think about the building of the temple and the building of the tabernacle, you know, they chose men of wisdom, and that's what it was talking about, men that had that kind of skill And so the word wisdom is used in that sense. But then it was used also as a keen insight to life and ways dealing with its problems. Keen insight regarding life and how to deal with its problems. And then whenever we come to Solomon, we we find that it is... uh, Used there, uh, uh, the word under, uh, understanding is used as a synonym for wisdom, and uh, actually speaking about uh, the, the same thing. Uh, and then on the fourth level, it speaks about a, and I quote here: a a wise, uh, the word wisdom and wise apply to men and women who represent a way of thinking and uh, and conduct that in that is orderly, socially sensitive, and morally upright. Thus, the major thrust of wisdom in the Old Testament was a code of moral conduct. And this is especially represented by the book of Proverbs. The goal of wisdom was to build an orderly and functional society that reflected the moral requirements of God as set forth in the law of Moses. And so I thought it would be good for us to just go through those things to see that whenever we talk about wisdom, you know, we're, we're not just talking about one certain thing. We're talking about something that embraces a lot of different things from uh, somebody that uh, is wise enough to be skilled at their craftsmanship all the way down to someone that, you know, has the wisdom to negotiate deals that will change the course of nations. But any way you look at it, it's very easy to see that this is something that that we all need, you know, whether it's the little kingdom of your family, uh, or whether it's the Lord's church, or whether it's a state, or whether it's uh, uh, whether, whether it's the nation. We we need desperately need wisdom. Well, here in the first twelve verses, uh, Solomon pictures here. Uh, Wisdom's Banquet. And there's three things about this that I want you to notice. First of all, wisdom's industry here in the first two verses because here is a picture of life at its fullest. And um, it it simply shows wisdom's provision for man. Verse 1, wisdom hath builded her house. Now, you know, it would be really easy to spiritualize this and maybe speak about Christ and the church, but i I think it'll be a lot more profitable if we stay strictly with what is written here and uh, and think of this as though it's a personal invitation uh, back several years ago, I had several preacher friends. It was one little pocket it seemed like in Tennessee where all of these guys had developed the habit over the years of spiritualizing everything. And uh, they thought that really made them seem intelligent because, you know, after all, they could come up with things out of the Bible that nobody else had ever seen before. And, uh, you know, at least that was the way they were thinking and they were very impressed with themselves and thought everybody else ought to be. Now, listen, there are shadows and types in the Old Testament. We know that. The Bible speaks about that. But we are never at liberty to just take anything out of the Bible and make a shadow and a type out of it or to spiritualize it. We're not at liberty to do that. There always has to be some justification for doing so. Uh, You've often heard me say that the tabernacle of the temple both speak about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about it in some way or another reflects some part of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have grounds to do that. The Bible is very clear about that in speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood and the Mosaic Law and all of that. It it was all for the purpose of pointing man to Him. So we have justification for that. But we don't have justification here in this instance, and it's better to look at this just like it's written. This is a personal invitation from wisdom. Now, remember, we already talked about this last week, that wisdom is here personified. It's spoken of as though it is a person. And we saw that in chapter 7 where it spoke about the strange woman. and uh, and seducing her victims in that case. Well, this is the flip side of the coin. This is the good side of the issue because wisdom has made preparations for those who accept her invitation. And she's built her house. Now notice, and she hath hewn out her seven pillars. Well, here we go again. This is another instance of where Some people want to spiritualize everything. And so consequently, there have been some preachers in trying to interpret this, relate this to the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3. And they try to draw a parallel between the two. Others claim that this has reference to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that Isaiah spoke about. And, uh, you know, while all of that is well and good, uh, again, I say I, I see no justification for it here. I think both of them are mistaken, and there's no reason to make this more complicated than it is. And, and if we just take this the way that it's written and think about it in terms as the security that is afforded by wisdom, I, I think we get the picture. That's what it's all about. Wisdom has built a house, a shelter, and she's shewn out her seven pillars. There is security here. And so he wants us to understand that wisdom wishes to protect us and to provide for us. And that becomes even more vivid as we move on and we speak about the banquet. Now, the place is pictured here as being prepared. We are invited. Verse number 2, "...she hath killed her beast." Now we're getting down to the good part. Uh, notice, "...she killed her beast and mingled her wine, and hath also furnished her table." Now this is a picture of a feast. And, and to me the point is here that wisdom provides what we need. But but I want you to notice here that, that this picture is a pleasure as well as provision. In other words, this is not just a meal, it is a feast. On one hand, we have, you know, the provision, uh, the house that is built, the security that is afforded. Now, we, we see the food which is necessary to sustain us, but this is no ordinary meal. This is a banquet or a feast. Notice there, there is meat on the table, not just veggies. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, you uh, you, ought to eat nothing but vegetables. Well, uh, you know, back in those days, for them to eat meat, they didn't eat meat like uh, some of us do today. Uh, but if I haven't had meat, I feel like I haven't eaten anything, and it just, Bev says I'm addicted to grease, and I confess, I am, you know, I, I could never eat any sweets again, it would never bother me, I, sweets, no problem getting rid of that, but I guess it's just the grease or something, because I love meat, well, Back in those days, they normally didn't eat meat on every occasion, but if there was a feast, a big banquet, or something special, well, then they served meat, and that's the idea here. And then when he speaks about the fruit of the vine, notice he mentions it being mingled, and that was the practice of adding spices to it to enhance the taste of it. You know, it's one thing. You can drink water, or if you're like Fred, you can drink fruit two O. And uh, that's got a lot better taste than water. Uh, You know, that that stuff is addictive. It's really good stuff. And uh, so uh, when he talks about mingling the wine, you know, he's talking about not just providing them the basics here, but he's talking about providing them that which would not only protect them, provide for them, but also please them, give them pleasure, Now, when we reject wisdom and the invitations being extended by the Lord to all of us, and yet whenever we reject it, we do ourselves a terrible injustice. I mean, you know, think of somebody putting on a big feast like that, and you say, no, 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 I got my heart set on a Big Mac down at McDonald's. Well, that wouldn't make any sense at all. And yet, you know, there are a lot of folks today that reject wisdom and choose the way of the world. And I don't know have to say it, but that's just plain stupid. It really is. To go the way of the world instead of to walk in wisdom uh, is, is to hurt ourselves. So here we see wisdom's industry and in that she is energetic and, and, and busy providing for us. But notice in verse number 3, down through verse number 6, we get down to the invitation. This is wisdom's invitation, and I want you to notice four things about the invitation. First of all, we see her servants in verse 3. She hath sent forth her maiden, she crieth uh, upon the highest places of the city. Now, the maidens here are, that he mentions are her messengers. They're the ones that make known to others what wisdom offers. And, and, and notice in the highest place of the city, they want to make sure everyone hears that everybody gets the message. And so they're sounding it out from the highest place in the city. And, and by the way, that is a perfect picture of the fact that God wants everyone to know what He offers. You, you think about our commission as a church to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, you can never speak to the wrong person about Christ because every person needs to hear the gospel. And, and so here we see Christ, the wisdom of God, providing salvation for us and sending us into all of the world. And here in Proverbs, we see wisdom in the highest place of the city, uh, crying out to all of those below to respond to the invitation. But notice in verse 4, Not only do we see her servants in verse 3, but her subjects in verse 4. Notice it says, Whoso is simple, we've already talked about that word, those that are usually young and inexperienced, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth or lacketh understanding, she saith to him, and we'll get to that in just a second here, but this description alone is proof enough, that they are in need of wisdom. Notice he says that they are simple, that they, they are lacking in understanding. And, uh, you know, we look around us today, and, we, and I've often said, uh, I really believe with all of my heart, that, if you go out here on the street and present the issues facing our nation and ask the average person out here on the street, what do you think the solution to this problem is, whether it's immigration or whatever you're talking about, you know, and you might give them two or three options or or, or you m- might not, but but you'll generally get a better answer than you will the answers that we get out of Washington. I mean, I mean, it's not only like they have blinders on in Washington, but rather that they've got an absolute agenda that is contrary to common sense. It's just you, you just have to shake your head in disbelief and wonder, how can so-called intelligent, educated men out of Harvard and Yale and all of these places like that, how can they arrive at those conclusions? So I'm saying all of that to say this, you know, it's pretty evident that people in general all of us uh, in fact need wisdom and and so notice verse number five now we see the sustenance of it he says come eat of my bread and drink of the wine which i have mingled you know it's one thing to talk about food any of you on facebook ever look at all those recipes Oh, my, the other day, I, every once in a while, I'll uh, I'll copy one and send it to Bev, you know, hint, hint. Uh, uh, somebody had one on the other day. I, I, I love grilled cheese sandwiches the way Bev makes them, you know, with a lot of butter and the cheese just oozing out of it. But somebody come up with this, this idea, why not put chocolate on there instead of cheese? And so it looked just like a grilled cheese, you know, sandwich, but it was chocolate on there. Uh, But, you know, you see all of these different recipes on there, and, boy, they look so good and inviting. And you could sit there all day and just, you know, think about how great that would be. Well, it's one thing to talk about food, but it's another thing, entirely different to actually eat it, you know. So my point is, it's one thing for us to study about wisdom It's another thing to actually possess wisdom. And I'm afraid a lot of times whenever, you know, it comes to... To our Bible studies, you know, we we, we read and we learn and we gather information. We filed it in our mental file cabinet, you know. While we're able to go out into the world and to debate these issues with our neighbors, we're, you know, able to talk to them about uh, spiritual things and all that. We can quote scriptures and so forth. But a lot of times we never put it into shoe leather. A lot of times it never gets down to where we live. A lot of times... What we learn never has any practical effect on the way that we live. And something's gone awry when it's like that, folks. And that's why James was, you know, so emphatic about the fact to be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. So she says, come and eat of my bread and drink. And wouldn't it have been terrible to just say, I want you to come and see the table that I've set. I mean, this is so beautiful. Let me just go down the list and show you all the different things that we've got Uh, that'd be like torture. And so we need to understand what great things that God has set before us. Verse 6, now we see her sensibility. It says, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Well, here again, as we've seen so many times before, Wisdom is a matter of life and death. And because of that, it's only reasonable that we listen to the voice of wisdom. And I say it's reasonable, but you and I both know that few do. That's why somebody come up with that old saying, you know, that common sense isn't so common anymore. And and that's really true because it's not. Forsake the foolish and, notice, and live and go in the way of understanding. It makes no sense to do what some people do when so much is at stake. We've often talked about the young people, you know, and the first, the first promise, that, that uh, commandment that was given with the promise, you know, that if they would honor and obey their parents, not only would it be better for them, but they would live longer uh, on the earth. And so... We're talking about our health, we're talking about our wealth, we're talking about our well-being, we're talking about our longevity, and all of those things in some way are related to the manner in which we live. And wisdom is the key to unlocking uh, this great storehouse of what God has for us. Now, we come to verse number 7, and we see wisdom's instructions Wisdom's instructions and here in these verses wisdom is addressing the foolish person and then beginning in verse 8 wisdom addresses the wise man. Let's look at the foolish person first in verse 7. He that reproveth reproveth a scorner giveth to himself shame and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Now, we just got through talking about wisdom's maidens. In other words, her servants or messengers that go out and, and welcome others to the banquet. Well, you know, whenever we think about ourselves as Christians and our glorious responsibility and privilege of telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, you better be prepared for disappointment. Uh, you, you'll remember that, in fact, the Lord even has a parable about going out and inviting others in. And the fact of the matter is, everyone is not going to respond. There are going to be those that not only will reject your message, but they will speak evil of you. There are people, you know, get so irritated. You try to tell them about Christ, and, and, and I've had people literally want to fight. Uh, They were so angry. Don't talk to me about that. I don't care anything about that. And, you know, a few other choice words. And so you're going to meet with that. You know, as wonderful as salvation is, as excited as you are about it, uh, you're going to find that most people you talk to don't feel that way. And because you've been born again, you have a special insight that they don't. And the God of this world has blinded their minds, and they don't believe the gospel. They're lost. They're in the clutches of sin. And consequently, they're not going to understand nor appreciate what it is that you're trying to do. And uh, so whenever you try to help them, the wicked are going to consider your reproof as making you their enemy that's the way they're going to look at it they're going to despise the instruction and notice it talks about here that uh that he rebukes a wicked man getteth himself a, a, a blot now, that's not the same as a black eye but they're going to uh, they're going to talk about you they're going to mark you as it were and uh you're you're going to be on the list they're going to criticize you all because you tried to tell them what was best for them so one of the real keys to any of us, you know, staying in the work is staying encouraged. I mentioned the other day, and I'll never forget when I first started preaching and right after I was saved and I was witnessing to everybody that I knew I was going out on visitation on Thursday night. I was going out in the bus ministry on Saturday, and we'd go out and visit until at least noon every Saturday and witness the people. And I'd go down and preach at the rescue mission that I was talking about, and uh, nobody was being saved. And and it, it was getting to the point... I mean, I wasn't accustomed to that. I, I just thought, you know, wow, I've discovered the greatest thing in the world, and all I've got to do is go out here and tell everybody else, and they'll want what i got. And it was really difficult in dealing with the disappointment week after week after week after week and and i guess that's why i'll never forget the name of bobby lewis that black man the first person that i ever led to a saving knowledge of christ down there at the rescue mission because it, it, there was a joy unlike anything i had experienced since i had been saved and uh but we've got to overcome that discouragement because people are going to despise you even though you have their best interest at heart. And that's the foolish person pictured here. Verse number eight Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Well, well, preacher, you said a while ago that you can't speak to the wrong man about Christ. What about this? Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Well, you're not going to know he's a scorner until you spoke to him about Christ, first of all, right? I mean, you've got to make an effort, so I still think I'm on the right track. But listen, there are instances where reproof only hardens a person. Now, let me say this, and I don't have time to deal with it, but there's another... Two verses in the Bible, where in one verse it says that we are to reprove, uh, we are to reprove a scorner, and the next verse says, "Reprove not." And, and so, in other words, there are times when it's appropriate and times when it's not. And in this instance that he's speaking of here, there are those that are scorners, and he tells us, you know, just leave them alone. There's no need in in speaking to them anymore. Why? because in doing so, we're just going to make their heart harder. They're going to get defensive, more stubborn, more rebellious. And isn't that exactly what the Lord had in mind when He said, Don't cast your pearls before the swine? There comes a time where you just have to leave them alone. And I'm afraid sometimes, you know, we try to do our job and the job of the Holy Spirit. You see, I can present the truth but I can't bring conviction to the heart of people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And so we can only do so much. And we've got to understand not everybody's going to appreciate what we do. And and you just get to that point, you have to, you have to walk away and just leave them with the Lord. Now verse 8, Now he begins to speak here to the wise man, and, and notice several things about the wise man. He, he gives us a list of some of his characteristics. The first thing is in verse 8 that evidently he appreciates instruction because it says, Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Now, you know, rebuke a wise man, and it's a good, a good time to remember this. The Bible says we'll speak the truth. How? In love. And, and that's so very important because some people will take this verse as a license to go out here, you know, and just start rebuking everybody. And not everybody can do that in love. But he says that we are, whenever you rebuke a wise man, uh, he's going to love you as a result of it. And some of the people that I've loved most down through the years, the people, you know, that have been honest enough with me and. And, and 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 by the way, that's the way it ought to be. It ought to be in a in in a private setting one on one. If you've got a friend that's out of the will of God, you don't need to tell the world about it. You know. You need to go to them one on one and sit down and talk with them and share with them and try to help them. And if they've got any wisdom at all, they'll come to their senses and they'll love you all the more. For having taken the time to try to help them. So the wise man appreciates instruction. Now look at verse number nine. The wise man's also receptive. It says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And so this is an evidence of wisdom. The person that is truly wise, you know, they're going to seize the moment, take advantage of the opportunity, and they're going to become yet wiser instead of, you know, rejecting the truth. Not only that, notice verse 10, another characteristic of the wise man is that he fears God. It says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding." And we've talked a lot about the fear of God already, and we'll not deal with that. But understand, the fear of God is one of the evidences that we are in possession of wisdom. Verse 11, we find another thing in regards to the wise man is that he's blessed. It says, For by me, now that's wisdom speaking, remember, for by me thy days shall be multiplied And the years of thy life shall be increased. Well, we just got through talking about that a little while ago. And here we go. God knew we needed another reminder. And He gives it to us right here. That those that possess wisdom are going to be blessed in the sense that they're going to live longer than they would otherwise. Now, in verse number 12, And and this is the best way I know to end this. In verse number 12, we learn from this that it is your choice. Listen to what he says. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. And so this is a reminder that each one of us are responsible for the choices that we make and we're responsible for the consequences that follow. It's our choice, and our choice determines our conduct, and our conduct displays our character. You know, we talk a lot of times about people and you hear folks all the time talking about, oh, so-and-so, I know he's a drunk or a doper or a womanizer or whatever it is, but he's got such a good heart. No, he doesn't. That's the problem. He doesn't have a good heart. You, You see, our character is revealed by our conduct. But our conduct is determined by the choices that we make. And we've got two choices. Wisdom. Or folly. And I don't know about you, but I'd a whole lot rather sit down at that banquet table and eat a big old chunk of meat, you know. I'd a whole lot rather, you know, go there than to follow to follow down the path that the fool takes. And we're going to look at that next week because just as wisdom is determined, uh, you know, to, to, to bring you into the shelter and the pleasure of her presence, even so folly is determined to bring you down and defeat you and destroy you. And and thank God we have a choice in this. Amen? I'm so glad that, that, that we can choose what path we're going to take. Thank you so much for being here tonight.